1: You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life.
0: Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. It is the holidays. And, uh, of course, things are a little slow around here. So I'm about to head out to Colorado by the time this airs. I will be actually back from Colorado, so but hopefully you, you had a, a good Christmas and you'll have a happy new year as well. I do want to remind you before we get started that um, there is a website called wealthformula.com, and that's where you go if you want the resources that are associated with this podcast, such as some of the free downloads, some of the list to join, including the investor club list. Uh, If you are an accredited investor yourself and would like to start putting some of these concepts into actual use, rather than just listening about them, then it might be worth your time to join uh, the investor club at wealthformula.com. Now, uh, there is also, for those of you who are interested and thinking about, well, it's probably a little late, but maybe you can even gift these kinds of things. But membership to Wealth Formula Network, uh, basically you go to wealthformularoadmap.com and it's a, it's a, it's a course, right? It's a course um, with guys like Kenny McElroy and, and um, Tom Wheelwright. Uh, and then that morphs into this online community uh, and we do biweekly Zoom video calls, very popular with members. So check that out, wealthformularoadmap.com. And basically, it's like a subscription model. Now, let's talk about the topic of the day. The topic of the day is cybersecurity. Now, I do want to just point out that cybersecurity is not all we're going to talk about after the podcast. Make sure to come back. Uh, listen, don't just tune out once we're done with this interview because I'm going to answer a few questions on Ask Buck as well. But so, you know, technology is great, but the burdens of technology are indeed significant. Think of all the accounts that you have and all your passwords, you know, just associated even with your, you know, your money, your, your trading accounts, your bank accounts. Uh, maybe you got bank accounts you don't even remember. Uh, you may have cryptocurrency. Uh, You might be using some cryptic DeFi platforms that not even that many people know how to use. So what if something happened to you today and how much of your money would be a giant mess and never see the light of day uh, once you're gone and you've left a giant mess uh, for your family behind? I mean, it's kind of crazy. This kind of stuff happens, right? There's a uh, and, and I will say there's a new year's resolution for you, you know, get your house in order. I'm not saying that you're, you know, you're going to die or something, but think about it. Right. I mean, you, you, you know, if you're the only one who knows where stuff is stashed and then, then, you know, what's going to happen, uh, what would happen if, if, and when you, when you die and you just something to think about anyway, that's not what this show really is about, you know, um, because meanwhile, well, you know, we don't want to lock our loved ones out of the things we want. Uh, when we're gone, we need to be vigilant in keeping hackers from taking our money and data now. Now, most people are pretty laissez-faire about cybersecurity. And uh, I get it. I mean, you think it's not going to happen to me. I mean, there's plenty of bigger fish that are going to be attacked before I am. But this year alone, I know at least two people within our Wealth Formula community that had major identity thefts and, you know, people trying to You know, steal a bunch of money from them. And, you know, they're, they're people just like you, right? Same people, same community, same type of people. So, bottom line is that you are, you are a target. And the good news is that with a few basic steps, we can avoid the vast majority of cyber attacks on us as individuals. And, You know, Again, while I know it's not the sexiest topic in the world, this week's podcast, we got to give you some of the basics of what you need to know with a cybersecurity professional. Now, again, it is the holiday, so I want to make sure you get some additional entertainment. So I will also answer a few questions from you at the end of this week's episode of Wealth Formula Podcast. So stay tuned and get your basics on cybersecurity when we come back. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Rob Embers. He is with ITS Secure, which is a cybersecurity company, and Rob is here to tell us uh, what we ought to know about the cybersecurity world and how it affects us. Rob, uh, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast.
2: Hey, thanks, Buck. Thanks for having me on. Yeah,
0: so um, maybe just start out, tell us a little bit, what is is this organization you're with, ITC Secure?
2: ITC Secure, so uh, a full-scope cybersecurity services company from... Assessments to understanding how organizations are adopting cyber maturity and looking at risk right the way through to actually managing a 24-7 managed detection and response service uh, for organizations of the size that kind of need something like that. So full suite of services.
0: And for those of you who are business people, I mean, you know uh, how important this is. I would just tell you, just say in general that I would be shocked if your business has not had to deal with issues related to cybersecurity and and companies that are similar, at least to uh, what what Rob's company does. But I want to focus because of so much of what we do and what the community members here are all about. Are you know, solo investors at home uh, and they're using their computers, they're using phones. I guess the question broadly is, you know, how big is the problem of cybersecurity? How big of a threat is it to individuals? Now, just for perspective, I mean, we are talking about people who are, you know, have accounts with a million, couple million bucks uh, at a time. So it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, just a few bucks here and there. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you know, the, the cybersecurity industry is worth billions, right? Yeah, you know, industries are yeah. not worth billions, because they're not a problem. Right. Uh, yeah, right. You it know, and I think, world. right, there's, there's a there's a whole scope and, and breadth of, of type of cybersecurity problems and incidents. And, you know, the, the actions that... Individuals may actually need to to undertake a completely different to that of an of a corporate organisation. You know, I think there's certainly there's always been the view in on the public that they're easy pickings. You know, ransomware, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and I'm sure you know a large number of your listeners are you know are familiar with. It's a problem. Ninety nine percent of individuals have no idea how to protect themselves from it and what to do to try and evade it. So if they are duped into clicking on a link that actually then ties up their computer and, you know, access to the bank accounts, access to, you know, whatever, you know, systems they use, they, you know, they may have spreadsheets, which, you know, they're tracking investments on or programs they're tracking investments on, you know, if this is all rendered on, un- you know, unusable, uh, you know, how does that work for an individual? So, you know, I would be less concerned about a cyber attack to the bank, because I think, you know, banks actually, you know, providing you're using, you can't access your bank without using multi-factor authentication now, you know, either on your phone and your computer or retina, face ID, you know, there's a number of those. And I think the important thing for individuals is use whatever technology is out there. For It's there for a reason. Yeah. So
0: let's talk a little bit about like what you can do, or maybe what you should do. You talked about uh, computers and phones What would be sort of like, you know, I always talk talk about sort of the bare minimum, what you really ought to be doing, you know, with your computer, with your phone. Can you address some of those? uh
2: Yeah, I think one of the biggest areas or the biggest reasons why devices are, are compromised is because they're outdated. So people who don't implement patches are software updates on Windows, software update, uh, updates on, on Apple, uh, you know, again, th- those updates are largely to address either functionality issues, but more often than not, security issues. Uh, You know, these organizations spend a tremendous amount of money, you know, literally hundreds of millions of dollars a year on security. So when they issue these patches and when they issue these updates, it's, you know, it's for the user's benefit. It's not just because they want to acquire more information, although I I understand a lot of people think that's the purpose. But, you know, really outdated versions of software, uh, unpatched devices, unpatched uh, phones, you know, and, and phones now and computers are largely the same. You know, the, the functionality, there's, there's not much you can't do on your, your computer that you can do on your phone now. The big thing is keep them updated.
0: Yeah, so keep them updated. Is there a big difference? You know, maybe this is completely myth. Maybe it's advertising. But um, somewhere along the line, I, I was told that, you know, having a, an Apple product, an iOS device, is generally harder, you know, to get hacked, to, you know, have viruses and hacks and stuff. Is that true?
2: it depends on this on the applications you're running mm-hmm. uh you know a lot of people use apple mac and then put a windows you know outlook or word or excel you know so like, there's that crossover you know nothing is infallible right so i would asshi- i would make the assumption that everything could be hacked and you know i've got to have a, a A plan in mind if I do, and there's some, you know, keeping it updated, not trying to use the same passwords for all the different services that I use, you know? So if I've got my Gmail or my Hotmail or whatever uh, mail mail client I'm using, let that not be the same one that I'm using for my Instagram or my Facebook or Snapchat or whatever these services are. Uh, You know, try to separate them you know, and people say to me all the time, it's like, Oh, I can never remember so many passwords. Well, you know, you don't need to now because there's some great applications that you can download onto your phones, onto your computer, that you don't even need to remember a password. You just need to remember one, and that's that to get into that application.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, though. I mean, I think that's a very useful. I mean, I'm I'm just in terms of trying to give people actionable information. You know, when you talk to individuals who've maybe got, you know, a lot going on, as you said, lots of different professional accounts and, and, you know, investment accounts and passwords. I mean, mean, geez, it's just password after password, like, you know, people say. Can you talk a little bit about some of the useful software, whether they be specifically cybersecurity uh, related or, you know, even with the latest, I remember there was LastPass and and some of these other password things. What uh, are there some basic software or apps that you could suggest for an individual?
2: It's difficult you know working for an organization and necessarily recommend individual products yeah uh, you know because there's paid products there's free products you know and I think in the, in the interest of you know every vendor that has a, has a, a key pass type you know I, I'd hate to discriminate against, sure. discriminate against well how about like broadly then
0: broadly let's say yeah, okay I mean, so some sort of password I, uh, app,
2: yeah, I mean, I think, look, I mean, you can go to the App Store, you can go to the Google Play Store, and, you know, you can type in, you know, pass passphrase, reminder kind of stuff, you know, and I would personally recommend people go for a paid version, because I think it's a little, you know, there's a little bit more to it you know and you know i guess a lot of this stuff all comes down to to risk you know how much risk am i prepared to take you know now there's you know, risk investing but actually how much risk am i prepared to associate with my own personal information
3: how about
0: you know? I mean, uh, antivirus stuff, malware. What what other sort of broad sweeping apps would you suggest looking into?
2: I mean, you, you've got to have anti malware. You've got to have antivirus. You've got to have a key pass. You've got to use all multi factor authentication services that your individual software package, you know, offers you. You know, and it's just like sometimes people think it's annoying, and it can be. But, you know, we've all, I say all, in most cases, we've got up-to-date phones with, you know, retina or facial ID, you know, and a lot of these now, actually, it's a one-time setup, and it's worth investing the time to set it up, and then it just recognizes through your face ID. Now, you know, it's kind of like, that can be difficult when you're wearing a mask, but you know, that's kind of, it's just one of those things. They haven't quite figured out how to do it without a mask yet. But, you know, again, there's all of these little ancillary services that manufacturers of software now offer that people just kind of disregard. And that's where a lot of the problems lie because they actually, they're there for a reason.
0: How easy is it for email to be hacked? Just general Gmail or yahoo it comes whatever. back
2: down to yeah i mean it comes down to you know how complex is your password right because actually you know there's there's tools out there which are available to pretty much anyone that will take a complete database you know and, and on the dark web there are databases of you of compromised confidentials right so you know it's this is this is not rocket science anymore. This is pretty, you know, one computer hacking. You know, you can go and buy a database of, of leaked credentials. Uh, you know, and you can go through and try them. You know, and a lot of organizations don't always know that they've been hacked. So, you know, those credentials will often work. So, if it's a weak password, you know, you can apply you can apply what they call brute force attack against it, and you know, it's like seconds now with processing power as it is a six character no special characters or numbers just a word you know like your dog's name or whatever you know anything dictionary is is seconds you know start increasing the complexity to 10 characters with special characters lowercase uppercase and not dictionary words you know and i think that's you know that's one of the key things people you know i've got a 15 phrase password but it's all dictionary words stringed together, which doesn't help because, you know, these tools, you know, these, these cracking tools have figured that out. They've understood the, the mechanism that people have employed to develop passwords. So you need to break them up. You need to reverse some of them. You know, you need to create generally a really complex password. So going back to my previous point about password keepers and, and locks, et cetera, a lot of these tools will come with a password generator, you know, which are 24 random random characters, you know, absolutely no sense to them whatsoever. So the whole point of using this, this software on your phone, which you can link to your laptop or your desktop or whatever you're using, you know, you can have them synchronized, you know, they will actually generate passwords for you. So the need now to create complex passwords is, is negated because you can acquire a tool to look after that for you.
0: You know, I want to switch gears a little bit because we've been talking about it at such an individual level. And I think that's important uh, for people. I think um, the bottom line is it's, uh, you know, like you said, there's sort of the low hanging fruit and we're probably in greater danger than the institutions and stuff. But the reality is some of the big threats to, you know, the economy are actually from cyber attacks. I think, you know, maybe, maybe you can address some of the things that I think we ought to be really concerned about sort of systemically out there, you know, whether they're cyber attacks of the grid or things like that. And, and what kinds of measures that are, uh, what are some of the exposures that we th- you think we have right now?
2: I mean gee, you know when we talk about public services, public utilities, I honestly don't know if there's any point in us worrying about it because there's nothing we can do about it anyway. You know, I think if I'm if I'm responsible for an organization that's a different story, right? I look I have to look at the organization and I have to understand the risk associated to the organization and I have to make adequate or take adequate measures to protect that information. You know, so I think yeah, i'm I'm personally less concerned. Obviously we all suffer the consequences of colonial, you know if it, if there's a fear that you know we're going to run out of gas on the eastern seaboard because the pipeline's been compromised by ransomware. Uh, but there's nothing I can do as an individual or indeed an organization to prevent that. all if i'm if I'm running a business, if I'm responsible for an organization and I need to keep that organization operational and protected you know, I think the first thing I need to do is understand my maturity and understand my risk, right? How big is my risk? What's my level of maturity? Because until you really understand uh, at what point you are on the road of cybersecurity, you know, and I think a lot of people, they make, they mistake, they make two mistakes. One is they think it's a short journey. And the other is they think it's cheap or it should be cheap. It's neither of those two things. you know. Implementing proper security at a corporate or enterprise level is extremely complex and very expensive. The potential consequences of not doing it could be devastating and could wipe you out.
0: So what do, I mean, it may seem like a very simple thing from investors is basically, you know, when you ask the question, what do cyber criminals want? The answer generally is going to be probably be well. They want your money, right? They want they want right. the real money. one, right? That's, yeah, that's but, why
2: we're investing. That's why we're. Working.
0: But there's lots of other things that you know at, at a corporate level uh, that are other than money.
2: Well, yeah, no, I think everything is monetized, right? You know, and I think whether or not it's personal data, whether or not it's corporate data, which. It could be in a sensitive bid environment or could actually be some IP, some patent. You know, ultimately, everything that, that is being, all of the attacks that are being perpetrated are now in a position to be monetized. So it used to be a social security number or your passport number and your bank account details. You know, now it's like, well, actually, you're finding today that ransomware is such an easily perpetrated attack Actually, I don't even need to go to the trouble of doing some of the original things. I'm just going to launch a ransomware attack about somebody. Could you clarify and, you
0: ransomware know, just so I – mean, I mean, I know probably most people know it, but talk about – what do you mean specifically when you see a ransomware well attack? Well,
2: basically, it's essentially a virus that runs through your system and locks out, compu- locks out your files, right? Renders them inoperable, inaccessible. You've, it's invariably something because you've downloaded or visited, which is – Put someone say some malware in, which is same. it's gone through encrypted it all. you'll then get an email saying your files are encrypted, and we want twenty thousand dollars you know and it depends on you know it can depend on the type of organizations you know these things are not done randomly, you know it's like there's a lot of research you know can be done with these you know they'll look and see who's clicked on the ransomware and then they'll determine a uh, a bounty for it essentially because you know if it's a big organization. It might be two three hundred thousand dollars might be two three million dollars. you know if it's an individual, well, no individuals might be paying that amount of money. It might be five thousand dollars.
0: Is there a general way that i mean an organization like yours would recommend people address the issue once they've already had some kind of uh criminal demands of ransom like how i mean do you is there it's a, a really
2: tough one? Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's there's a lot of guidance and, and leadership that says, you know, we shouldn't be paying ransomware because it just proliferates the problem. You know, every ransomware attack that's successful, you know, to a criminal gang, you know, fuels more ransomware attacks. You know, I, you know at my point, and I think a lot of the points from, you know, the industry would be, look, this is a problem that we're aware of. This is something that's not new. So let's look at ways and let's look at solutions that we can do to prevent the outcome. Right. Because have I got backups? Can I access my backups? Do my backups work? How quickly does it take me to restore them? You know, it's literally a damage limitation. Because if I've got a if I've got processes and procedures in place that actually look at my my corporate infrastructure, for example, and I have it replicated and it's completely unattached to the current environment, but is easily rolled back, well then ransomware no, is no longer as big a problem for me because you know I may only lose six hours of work, which you know can also be devastating for a production line. You know, six hours of non-production can be you know could be the difference between a quarter earnings. You know, so it, it's all relevant. You know, I think on an individual basis, you know, use the cloud, you know, and, you know, use, don't rely on things being on your desktop, use backup, you know, make sure that things are backed up to the cloud, you know, and again, use the complex passwords and the multi-factor authentications to prevent the ease of, of traversing from one to the other. What
0: do you, or how do you see the role of distributed ledgers blockchain, uh, other distributed ledgers, um, how are they impacting cybersecurity systems? Um, are you seeing this as something that's going to really be a game changer? Uh,
2: I think, you know, I, I, I've i not seen anything personally, so it would be a little difficult for me to to, to comment uh, with any great level of authority. You know, I think any time there is rapid change in technologies uh, and new things are coming on. There's always a risk. There's always a threat. Uh, I couldn't necessarily assimilate blockchain or distributed with any, uh, ledgers with any ledgers with any increase attacks that I've seen. But how about so,
0: using how about using uh, the technology actually to you know improve security through clouds yeah, and can, distributed clouds and and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah. Again, you know, I think it's, it's depending on where you are in your cybersecurity journey and what you're doing. You know, I think really. I, you know, for those that haven't started on this, I think it's, it's literally, where are we? What do we need to do? You know, because I think the, you know, the danger is, and I've seen this happen a lot with organizations that, you know, there's a new technology that comes into the market and it's like, you know, you get some, you know, clever sales guys out pushing this technology from organizations, but it doesn't necessarily address the issues that the organizations are having, you know? And I think it's literally for some organizations that they've not started this journey, I'd urge them to start it because, you know, I think that's a, that's a too big a risk in today's market not to engage with organizations to help you understand, you know, because there may be solutions, you know, on, on, on a sort of blockchain technology that can help you, uh, you know, there, there may be, you might not need to go to that extent, you know, and it's working with the right type of organization who understand your risk and can help you, you know, reduce that and improve your maturity.
0: So is there any new kind of um, cyber threats that, that, are, that we may not be aware of that are out there right now or that are emerging?
2: I mean, there's, you know, there's lots of attacks happening in different bases all over. It's, you know, I think one of the challenges not is how do you, you can't stop an attack, but you can manage how you deal with an attack. You know, so again, those at home, you know, those private investors, you know, not really in their sphere. Uh, but actually larger organizations, you know, 500 you know, employees plus really should look to have a 24-7 SOC, a uh, security operations center and a C- uh, security incident and event management system in place, you know, maybe with some management detection and response, because, you know, once you get to a certain size, you know, people are operating 24-7 now, you know, so I think that's a relevant point.
0: Your uh, organization again is itcsecure.com dot uh, com backslash us. Um, tell us a little bit how you work with organizations, and you know, also, you know, uh, like who would be an appropriate client for your your group.
2: Yeah. So, what we do as an organization is at the beginning, you know, we we'll, we will go into into a business. And you know, there's there's a lot of discussions. It's, you know, like you know, what are we talking about? Why are we talking about it? Has there been an event that has led us to this conversation, right. or is this actually you as a business, you know, trying to get a gauge on on how you're likely to become uh, the victim of an attack? You know, I think it, you know, we're we're not a very pushy organization. We like to work. You know, we do a lot of work within private equity firms, within venture capitalists, uh, within the healthcare sector. You know, so. You know, we have various facets to our business, manufacturing and retail. You know, alongside them as well. But it's really about helping understand where are we, what implementation, you know, what policies, what procedures, what technology have you got in place, you know, and then looking at that and really sort of coming back with a report which says, well, actually, industry standard is here, uh, and you are above, below, or on in the industry standard in terms of your maturity. You know? And from there you can then start building out a roadmap. You know, it's not about going in and selling a solution. It's actually about going in and engaging and understanding where you are today. Because, you know, if you've been operating within, you know, various sort of cybersecurity programs for two, three years, you're obviously at a different stage from an organization that's starting out. You know, and therefore there's there's no sense in recommending a solution to somebody who's in the infancy of cybersecurity versus an enterprise team with, you know, 50 security guys in, you know, because there's, there's capabilities and, and where they are on that road.
0: Are there resources that you would recommend people uh, read, uh, maybe even at the individual level, um, just to, you know, just to become sort of up to date with the, the latest um, ideas behind, you know, protecting yourself?
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, my feed is, it's full of, of, you know, various sort of articles
0: and that's your, you know, uh, your website, itcsecure.com.
2: Well, our, yes, but also my, you know, the information I get, I mean, I think, you know, looking at, uh, CESA, which is an organization here in the U S looking at NCSC in the UK, I, I'm assuming that your listeners are a little more US based, yep. uh, you know, looking at, looking at what, you know, the, the presidential office is now putting out about cybersecurity and, and the importance of it, right. uh, you know, because this is where the basis starts, you know, yeah. there is, you can get bogged down and actually if you read everything, you might never open a computer, switch on a computer again, Yeah. but you've got no choice. So, yeah, right, you right. know, it's about being aware of, you know, attacks, being aware of ransomware and really understanding what you can do as an individual to protect yourself, you know. I think yeah. that, you know, one important thing is, you know, people use it, they expose a lot of information online about themselves, right. you know, and a lot of it is unnecessary and some of it can be used, you know, both in a, in a personal attack, but also can be linked back to a, a corporate attack. So be aware of the information that you expose, be aware of what you post, because you just don't know if anybody can utilize any of that information to, to help launch an attack against you.
0: Good stuff, Rob. Uh, Appreciate your time. It's Rob Embers again with uh, ITC Secure. You can uh, follow him at itcsecure.com backslash US. Rob, again, thanks for joining us on Wealth Formula Podcast.
2: That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Got a few nice tips there on cybersecurity. Important, so make sure you, you know, you go take some, action there, and also do a little audit to make sure that more than one person, you know, knows uh, the details of, you know, where stuff is, you know, where you're bearing the skeleton, so to speak. So as I promised, I want to answer a few questions on Aspect. We'll do more uh, in the coming weeks, but I want to make sure we had a few answered this week as well. So the first one here is from Melina here. Let's, uh, let's go and play this one.
3: Good morning, Buck. My name is Melina Michel. I am from Louisiana. I have been listening to several of your podcasts over the years, uh, really enjoying them. Recently, back in, oh, say, July, I was listening to one in particular with Dave Steele. Very interesting, very informative. Dave kept saying, check the numbers, check the numbers. Well, my elementary question is, How do I check the numbers? Um, How do I go about evaluating the pro forma? How do I look at a financial statement? Okay, my whole goal here is to do my own math, educate myself. I'd like to know how to make a proper uh, evaluation on my own and uh, how to really decipher the numbers. Um, I want to know to be able to um, differentiate what is the truth from what is a sales pitch. Um, so I would appreciate it if you could give me some elementary education on that. As always, thanks again, Buck. Bye.
0: So Melina, these are uh, challenging questions. Well, first of all, there's a couple of different questions there really. And one is, you know, how do you look at financial statements? How do you look at pro formas? You know, there's lots of books on this. Uh, There's lots of YouTube videos on this. Um, But fundamentally, what I think you're talking about um, is getting some basic accounting and education. Now, that's not something we necessarily do on this show. But I think when you're talking about looking at financials, you're talking about doing some basic, you know, maybe taking an online, you know, accounting 101 class or something like that. Because I mean, it's it's a very difficult thing to you know just jump into financial statements if you don't have any sort of background in them at all. Um, So you know, and 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 once you have that, I mean, there's like you know plenty of ways to you know look at uh, examples of pro formas. Again, I would suggest using educational. Uh, elements rather than you know looking at um, uh, something that somebody's trying to sell you. Now, as far as what Dave was saying, though, I think it's a little different than what you're thinking because I think, uh, and I don't remember specifically the point that Dave was talking about. Um, Dave uh, Steele from Western Wealth Capital, but I think Dave's point was really you know checking the numbers, you know, in terms of specific properties and comps, and you know the big picture in the area. Um, you know, whether it be job numbers, whether it be ch- population growth, uh, whether it be again comparables in the area, so you can get a sense of what rent is. That's what the numbers are all about. Um, you know, the challenge that you're going to run into is a challenge that uh, there's not a great answer for, which is that even if you know how to read a financial statement, even if you know how to read a pro forma, the reality is that you can make a pro forma look exactly the way you want it to look, right? Uh, it's not that hard. And so that's why I always tell people that the first and foremost, you have to vet the team, you have to vet the operation. You can't just go on a pro forma. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, Warren Buffett when you look at that pro forma. Uh, you have to trust the people who are putting it out there, and I think that you know that's that's been my major takeaway over the years as uh, as an investor, which is really start with the people, right? So uh, that's what I would tell you. Hopefully, that answers some kind of a question for you. But um, you know, unfortunately, I can't give you you know a magic pill necessarily to even, you know, look at those numbers. It's basically just working through accounting, you know, but again, start with the people. That's what investing is all about, particularly as a passive investor. All right. Let's see what else we got.
1: Hi, Buck. This is Mike in San Antonio, Texas. My question is regarding cost segregation studies. The syndications that you promote usually bring back 75 to 90% on the first-year de- depreciation on the cost segregations that are done on those. But when I do cost segregation studies on my single-family homes, they only bring back about 20% depreciation on the first year. So I'm wondering, how is it that the syndications are able to bring back a bigger percentage of depreciation over the single-family homes? Thank you.
0: Mike. Uh, this is a interesting question. So I don't know why you're not getting uh, more depreciation, but I've got a guess. Okay, so let's start with kind of again. Let reminder: I'm not a tax professional. I'm gonna just give you my own experience on this. Okay, in my experience, whether it's multifamily or you know any kind of residential, it's typically I have found it's been approximately you know thirty percent. Of the asset value or 20% of the asset value. Okay. It really depends. There's variability in here. That's why you have to, you know, that's why there's an engineering study involved. Okay. So here's a guess if you're buying single family houses for cash, well, guess what? 20, 30% is all you're going to get of the money you invested. Okay. Now let's take a step back. Now let's say you, used you know, a 70% loan-to-value or 80% loan-to-value, all of a sudden now, the equity that you put in, that you invested, is actually approaching the same amount of the first-year depreciation, which would be 20 or 30% of the value of the house. So my guess is that's probably what's happening. If that is not the case, and you are actually leveraging these houses, and you're still only getting twenty to thirty percent, I think you might just not have a good person to do your cost seg. In which case, you can certainly email me, and I've got a good contact. I don't, you know, I don't get paid or anything from him, but he he does a really good job with single family homes and smaller cost segs for bonus depreciation, and and uh, also helps people and helps uh, people uh, get their CPAs on board with what exactly it means and how it works. So anyway, email me if that's an issue, but I suspect you're buying these houses cash, in which case 20 to 30% sounds about right. Okay. Let's see. Next question.
1: Hi, Buck. It's Rob from uh, Northern California. Hey, first of all, thanks for your great show. Love the education I'm getting. And I wanted to ask about triple net leased commercial property. Prior to finding your show, I was very interested in purchasing more triple net leased commercial property. Uh, Follow that market pretty closely and looks like cap rates are around uh, four and a half to six percent, which is obviously not a great rate of return, but uh, it's very stable investment grade sort of stuff. Interestingly, in listening to your show, I've uh, noticed you mention a couple of times that one of the goals might be to buy a couple of Walgreens and use those to uh, generate cash flow uh, as a strategy. I'm just curious where you stand on uh, buying and investing in triple net lease uh, commercial grade property, things like uh, Walgreens or what are called quick service restaurants or Starbucks and those type of things. I'm going to guess that the rate of return isn't on par with the Uh, multi-family syndications that seem to be what uh, the group is doing right now, but I'd love to hear your opinion. Thank you so much. Appreciate the answer.
0: Hey, Rob, uh, great question. So the answer, and again, these being my opinions is first of all, I like the triple net space. I do. Um, I've actually not bought anything in the triple net space. And I I think what you're saying, what you're alluding to in terms of where I am, in terms of You know, my own investing philosophy right now uh, is largely the reason, which is that, you know, I think everybody has a different philosophy at different times of their life, right? And right now, I'm still, uh, I still am looking at substantial growth. That's what I want. And so, you know, uh, if you're, you know, we're, if we can still get, Uh, Annualized returns in the 20s and 30s, um, or plus that, with the kinds of value add stuff we're doing. um, Right now, that's kind of where I'm going to stick and grow principle. Now, that's not to say that that's, uh, that's not to say that that's for everybody, right? Um, I don't think it's a terrible idea to start branching out and looking at some of these. as you call them, investment grade uh, triple net properties with great companies backing those leases. I actually think that's a great idea for potentially part of, of your portfolio, and maybe a growing part of your portfolio uh, as you as you you know get older and uh, feel like you're less in growth phase and maybe you know starting to pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, the the concept that I allude to is this idea that you keep growing, growing, and, you know, traditionally the idea is you 1031 into one thing and 1031 into the next thing. And then before you know it, you've got a big pile and you buy a bunch of, you know, investment grade triple net properties uh, that are yielding, you know, with cap rates at 46%. By the way, I should point out 46% in a cap rate right now is not not terrible i mean with leverage and stuff you're still going to get close you know you're still going to be near double digit returns you know so so if you're getting that first of all i'd like to know what you're getting uh where you're getting um even caps of 5 or 6% uh so shoot me an email on that and let me know um but also i i i think it's a great idea i don't think that there's you know i think at the end of the day remember i'm not advocating for You know, one set of personal investment philosophy for everybody. I am advocating for everybody to understand where they are in their life, what their goals are, and hopefully have the tools, uh, you know, uh, intellectually uh, to figure that out. And also, you know, hopefully provide some ability and some, um, you know, through our investor group, some deal flow to accomplish that. And I'm guessing as, you know, as I get older and, you know, slow down that probably some of the stuff that I start doing is going to probably be more coupon uh, driven, but uh, that's not where I'm at now. But again, great question. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'd love to see where you're getting, you know, investment grade stuff at, you know, four and six cap rates, because that that actually is very, very good. So uh, shoot me an email, bucketwealthformula.com Anyway, uh, I think that'll do it for this week. We have, uh, you know, it's three questions. I don't want to make the show too long. Uh, hopefully again, you had, everyone had a nice, uh, holiday. And by the time you get the next podcast, it's going to be new year, uh, exciting 2022. Hopefully it'll be the end of the pandemic, but I think I said that at the end of 2021 too. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Anyway, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.
0: Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.